behind yeah. you. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Deadly Discussions, a podcast on social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Isaac Harrison. Before we get started, I'd like to thank the traditional landowners on whose land we are recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Excellent. So, Ruby, are you there? Yes. Hi. Hi. How are you going? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. So, uh, thanks so much for giving up your time to come on Deadly Discussions. No worries. No worries at all. Um, and yeah, we'll just you know talk about your story, your career, and what you're doing. I understand, Ruby, that you are a electrical engineer mm-hmm. um, who's of Indigenous heritage. And you've just recently got back from the States. So why don't we work with where you grew up and a bit of your story and how you ended up in America and then why you have returned? Yeah, sure. Um, So I grew up in the country Victoria in a place called Hanging Rock, which is a very small town halfway between Melbourne and Bendigo. Yep. Um, so I went to high school there and, and then university in Footscray at Victoria University. I decided I, I, at the time I didn't know what an engineer was uh, and, and when I found out in year 10, I knew that's what I was um, after wow. reading the description. Uh, so it took engineering at, at Victoria University, electrical yep. and electronic. And then after that, I... I just settled into Melbourne. I got a job in Melbourne. I lived actually over the, the other side of Melbourne where your company is. Yeah, wow. Glen Huntley. Yep. Uh, and then I, I worked in Melbourne for about four years. I've always hated the weather. It's too cold yes, in Melbourne agreed. for me. Agreed. I'm sure you agree. Yes, as a Queenslander, I, I completely agree with that statement. Yep. So I decided to go, I'd go somewhere sunnier and, uh, and I'd work more in the area of renewable energy. Unfortunately, I wasn't told that San Francisco was not a sunny place in California. <laughs> so I ended up uh, moving from one one dreary place to, to another. So yeah, wow. Wow. That, and that with lots of hills. <laughs> yeah. Lots of yeah. hills. Fantastic. Hills and, and no sunshine. Um, so yeah, I worked there with Eric I was working for um, yep. for another two and a half years. And and then I decided that that wasn't working for me either. I, I was working um, for big companies like Google, and yep. that just wasn't feeling that wasn't fulfilling my mission. Okay, wow. Yeah. So, so well, I let's up- before we hear the entire story, let me interrupt <laughs> and ask a few annoying questions. Um, let's take it back to when you're young. You said you read a description of what an engineer is or, or was. And you said that's me. What um what resonated in that description that you just knew that was you? So it was um it was the problem solving aspect. Yeah. Okay. And and the fact that an engineer is it takes a little bit from from every everything. Yeah. Um so I read, well you're gonna have to look at contracts. So there's legal, and you're going to have to understand the behaviors of people, people that are using your products and yeah. things like that. So then there was some psychology aspect to it. Uh, you'll, you'll have to write reports and do research. So there was my uh, literary aspect to it, and obviously the maths and the science aspects. And so I, that was me, that I was just 
a lot of different things rolled up into one and I yep. didn't know how to, which, which area to foster. And yep. then I realized I didn't have to choose because engineering was everything. Yeah. Wow. So were you one of those, um, those kids that were building replica Eiffel Towers with moving trains around the bottom at the age of like four? Oh, I wish I was a whiz kid, but I I was just, I was just the kid that was pulling things apart. Okay. All of my toys, I would pull them apart and if I could fix them, I could fix them. And if I couldn't, well, it was just cool that I I saw all the Yeah, it was poorly designed is what you'd say. Well, it was poorly designed, so I can't put it back together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Um, Now, there's a stigma, I think that's sort of dissipating now around engineering being mainly a male-dominated um arena you know you do want to shed some lights on that when you thought engineer you're like oh but you know i'm a, I'm a young lady that's what you know that's what guys do did any of that sort of stuff challenges or when you started university was it mainly a lot of um a lot of blokes in there or you know what was it like for you i i don't think i grew up uh realizing that there was there was things that men did and things that women did. So yep. that, that really helped me because yeah, I, I didn't feel that um, yep. as I grew up. I grew up um, myself and two sisters, two younger sisters. Yep. And um, so I was the son that my dad didn't have. Yeah, um, wow. So he, <laughs> he encouraged me to do everything that he might encourage his son to do. Um, yeah, okay. So I, I never grew up that way. But then definitely when I got into... Um, mostly university i didn't i didn't really feel that way in high school but yep. in university there's definitely that kind of stigma and i felt that the boys in the class wanted you to answer for why you were there yeah, they wow. didn't need to have their reason but yep. you had to have a reason because you were a woman yeah uh, and so in my class um there was about 100 people that we started with 100 yep. students and five women and yeah, four wow. years later we graduated with about 25 students yep. and five women. Yeah, wow. So I think that says a lot. Yeah, definitely. Definitely says a lot. Um, you know, it's very interesting with our Indigenous culture as well. We've got men's business, women's co- um, business, which I grew up. But my mum is was the majority the breadwinner. She worked for state government. And I actually didn't know any different either. I thought that was normal. Mum had the education. Mum had the hustle. And uh, mum went and, you know won the bread for the family um it wasn't until spending time with cousins who their fathers were breadwinners and the mum was stay at home that they're like oh your you know your dad stays at home and he picks you up from school and i'm like yeah what's wrong with that so so i think it's amazing just in the last you know 20 20 years or so how much australia's sort of changed um but what yeah one indigenous elder actually said to me that men's business is actually women's business or vice versa that it's um important that both are sort of entwined together, not this sort of separation, which, you know, we've had for, you know, half a century. So let's bring it back. So university finishes, you finish university and you do a couple of years work here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then it's off to the States straight away or is it, what happens then? Off to the States. So off to San Francisco with not enough clothes. Um, yeah, wow. So is it, is it is it a lot colder in San Fran? It was a lot colder than expected because wow. I expected the um, California girls sun-kissed skin, which yeah, is wow. definitely not written. That stuff's not written about San Francisco. Definitely not on the pamphlet before you got <laughs> over there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it wasn't what I signed up for, but um, that was okay. I, I really enjoyed the, the work I was doing for a long while. So it Yeah, was, and that it was, was for that small company, um, Google, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, tiny. Just a, just a little company little called startup. Google, if you've heard of them. Yeah. Was it hard to get into Google? Uh, so we are in San Francisco and LA had both been working for Google for quite a while. And yep. that was, they'd also worked a lot with Apple. Um, so I think that was just the space they were in and that, um, yeah, okay, that cool. was just an ongoing client. Yeah. And your day-to-day, you know, work activities, what did that look like? So what I was doing for them was uh, very large and complex building integrated solar arrays for some of their campuses, along with investigating um, them having owning their own infrastructure, their own distribution network within their campuses. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And um, in regards to Google being very, very socially minded, um, is that something you sort of saw in the US that was more advanced than what we'd see here in Australia? We're talking, you know, um, equal, you know, gender pay, uh, skilled migrants, we're talking disabilities. Did you see a lot of that in Google? Um, but they definitely, over there, they, they have strong targets for environmental, yep. uh, the environmental aspects and... Yep. I wasn't really that close to what they were doing in terms of um, diversity and things yeah, like okay. that. Within Arab, it was certainly very strong that yep. that they pushed diversity, and it was very evident that the diversity within the office was there. Yeah, cool. No, just out of interest because yeah, we don't uh, see that much from the states, and I know that Supply Nation, the Indigenous Commonwealth body, sort of mirrored a. Uh, organization over there in america so it'd be interesting to know so you're at google you're in san fran you're like i need warmer weather and where do you head from there ruby so from there i take a leave of absence to hawaii of course um, and i take that on a farm uh, farming taro which is a a root plant yeah yeah that's uh is that like potato it's, yeah, it's a bit like a potato, only better. Much better, better for you and um, just wonderful tasting if you can cook it properly. It's it's a, a really, yeah. really beneficial um, vegetable. Well, it's funny, funny you say that because I'm reading uh, Dark Emu um, and the author, Bruce Pascoe. I don't know if, sorry if I get that wrong. Um, he talks about um, yam or um, a root that was farmed around Geelong area that the indigenous oh. people farmed for you know thousands of years. Very similar to other um, First Nation groups in the islands and obviously in Hawaii. Right. Well, taro is so important to the Hawaiian people. Actually, it's kalo in um, the Hawaiian. Yep. But it's so important to them that they believe that their ancestors evolved out of the kalo plant, yeah, the, wow. the leaves that grow on top. Yeah, well, so there is some uh, significance to the to the culture. So that's very interesting. So you're in Hawaii. Now, last time I spoke with you, you said you lived in a tree house. I did. Yes. I, I absolutely lived in a in a, now, a very this tree small house tree have house. renewable energy. <laughs> yes, I had oh, um, right. I had a couple of solar panels yep. and a battery. Yep. Uh, that was in my second tree house. My first tree yep. house you had two was tree completely houses. Wow. um there was no power at all, yep. so that was that was interesting. Yep. Uh, no power and no walls. Yep. 
Um, so I shared that with the mosquitoes. And, yeah, well, well, you said you wanted to get back to culture, so yeah. I don't think there's anything <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> and yeah, so the second one has power, so you're like, wow, this is amazing. Did you go down to JCAR or Hawaii's equivalent and grab the panels and the cable yourself? And do a no, bit of it was actually an installation that was already there, but it wasn't working when I first got oh, there. Oh, wow. Luckily, um, then, you're an electrical engineer and you solved that problem. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. So I got up on the, the rickety treehouse roof and yep. I found the panels were just quite dirty. Um, yep. So all they really needed was a good clean and then there you go, batteries charging and, um, and I've got lights. Yeah, excellent. So that's one for our listeners. Remember, always clean your solar panels. Yeah, it makes a big difference. That's right. Awesome. Now, you've, so you're in Hawaii, and I remember also last time we spoke, there was um, Engineers Without Borders. Yes, yes. When does so that it, come then, in? I had actually, I'd been in Hawaii for four yep. weeks, and then I'd returned to San Francisco, um, yep. and I... I thought that um, I felt a lot better about being in an office again and okay. and I just didn't. So, no so I decided yep. I had okay. to I had to leave. It wasn't for me anymore or at that point. Uh, so then I returned to Hawaii and I spent four months there the second time. Uh, wow. And I'd also applied to go and work with Engineers Without Borders yep. to volunteer in Ethiopia. Yeah, wow. So I'm reading into a lot of trend in your life where you aren't really fitting the mold of what's expected I think when you when you graduate and you go work for a big organization and you do your time and you put the work in and um, you get rewarded you know 15 20 years down the track I'm I'm sort of reading into that that's sort of the way you're built Ruby yeah and and I question if that's actually the way that anybody's built yeah. Um, because I saw a lot, I saw a lot of people struggling yeah, with wow. that. Yeah. Wow. A lot of people not knowing if that was their mission and that's what they really should have been doing. A lot of people um, becoming kind of ill and unwell just yeah. from the amount of stress and the amount of expectations. Yeah. Um, but also with the working environment itself. Yeah. Agreed. Um, you know, when we sit down with some of the big tier ones and contractors and we talk about doing some work, I usually open the meeting with, they are, you know, everyone shares, you know, the two minutes where you're from sort of thing. And I say, well, I'm a cubby-cubby man, um, Biri Gubby, grew up in, in Queensland in a small town and uh, explained my culture. And what I found was people then would go around the room and explain their heritage before they would go into any qualifications or roles. And I thought that was really inspiring um, because we're starting to change culture from the outside in because a lot of these people have got, like you said, the mundane nine to five, reading over contracts, looking over designs, you know, getting it implemented, getting it delivered. And then you have someone come in who's a social enterprise and the first thing they lead off is a story about culture, about, um, about life. You know, I think everyone resonates with that. Absolutely, yeah. And um, okay, so... Now you catch a plane from Hawaii to Ethiopia, Engineers yeah. Without Borders. What are your first thoughts when you get out off the plane in Ethiopia? Oh, it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. It's, it's dry. Yeah. So I'm in the south of Ethiopia. Ethiopia yep. has very different climate throughout, yeah, but wow. the, the very southern part is full desert, really. 
Yeah, wow. Okay, so you get off Ethiopia. Is it what you thought it was when, when people, I think Australians think of Africa and places like Ethiopia, Eritrea, you know, the Congo, they're thinking, you know, low socioeconomic, low quality of life, living standards. Is that pretty much what it was when you, you got there or was it different? So when, when I got to Addis Ababa, which is the capital, yep. that was very different to what I expected. So that's, that's completely different to the refugee camps that I was in in the south. Yeah, it, wow. It rains, it's cold, felt like I was still in San Francisco. Um, wow. it, was, it was not at all what you'd have in your mind. It's very green there. There's waterfalls yeah, and wow. the, there's a really big gap between you can see the wealth and then you can see the extreme poverty within okay. the city. Yeah. And it's a lot more developed than you might think as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is surprising. Okay, cool. So you thought, I'm coming over to help people. You get there and you're like, hang on a second. <laughs> it looks like there's some wealth here that could be distributed. Um, then where, to, where do you go then? So you're at refugee camps, is that correct? Yeah, so I leave Addis Ababa yep. uh, very early the next morning and I take a very tiny charter plane down two and a half hours south and then I'm on the border of Kenya, Somalia and Ethiopia yeah, well, and that is that is where it is very dry, just desert really. Yeah, well, and so you're now, these refugees, they're in Ethiopia from Somalia and Kenya or from Kenya, where... Where are the refugees majority coming from? Predominantly from Somalia, these yep. ones. Okay, cool. And so your job is to... Um, my, yeah. my job is to train refugee and host community um, cooperatives yep. to design and install solar mini-grids, so solar and batteries. Yeah, wow. That would have been very interesting. It definitely was. That sounds very interesting. The panels and the equipment, um, are they coming from like um, from Kenya or are they coming from Ethiopia? Who, does someone donate them? Uh, so the whole operation there is, is almost fully funded by the IKEA Foundation and, and this is working with uh, UNHCR, so okay. United Nations High Commissioner of Refugees. Yep. And uh, so their compound and their work is, is quite heavily funded by the IKEA Foundation and they purchased their equipment. Um, somebody purchased it before I got there, long yep. before I got there. Yep. And it, it, there's inverters from the Netherlands, Victron inverters, and yep. um, batteries from Germany. So it's definitely not lo anything like local. Yeah, okay, definitely. Um, and so the people wanting these mini-off grids were, is that for like light to read at night or is it to run a fan? charge a laptop, an iPhone, what is it a uh, majority for? So the first thing we targeted was the, the health um, centres because they the, the shocking thing there was they had generators, but yeah. because of the limited availability of fuel and the cost of fuel, they might run their generator two hours a day or less. Wow. Uh, so there was no refrigeration. Yeah. There was, so vaccines were just going bad. Because yep. um, they need to be constantly refrigerated, they were delivering babies at night using just their their mobile phones, using the light on their mobile wow. phones to deliver babies. Wow! So there was um, just a, a lot of things. Oxygen machines. They needed to give people oxygen, and those are those are electric machines. So yep. there, it just wasn't so nothing like there machine. was suitable. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow. Yeah, so we started there. Yeah, that's... Did you think it'd be that intense before you got there? Yeah, I, I, I actually thought it might be more intense. I wasn't sure exactly yep. the situation there because there was it was good there. It wasn't um, there was no war torn people spilling spilling through the camp. Um, yep. It was it's quite a stable camp. Yeah. So it was pleasant to see that at least from that point of view that was good. Uh, and they had set up some infrastructure already, so everybody had access to water, which was fantastic. Yeah, but well. just energy had just not happened yet. Yeah, so there was a, a clear correlation, and something I like talking about, between power um, and the lack of and poverty, isn't there? There's sort of a clear, yeah. you know, because you can't get access to technology and equipment or internet um, to better your life, but then who's going to provide the infrastructure because it's not really any interest to go build infrastructure in a refugee camp and, yeah, it's sort of a catch-22. So let's take it back to now... Australia, we have uh, over 150 Indigenous communities um, with over 500 people in each running on diesel generators. And it's not as bad as, well, can you really compare to what's happening in Ethiopia, but it's definitely not a good thing. And you've come back to Australia and you've started your company, which is Alinga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Alinga, um, which means, what does that mean in your language? Um, so Alinga is a, an Aboriginal sun goddess, yep. which is just very fitting for my company because I focus on energy and yep. clean energy and it all comes from the sun. Yep, awesome. And the goal of Alinga is, um, amongst commercial activities is to go into these communities and aid with the transition of removing diesel generators as the primary source of generation. Is that correct? Yep, that's definitely one of my target areas and that's what I was doing in Ethiopia so I've got I've got the experience and and that's what I'm passionate about yeah that's awesome and you see a lot of similarities in culture with the Ethiopians um, and the way things are set up there and with indigenous people here in Australia yeah well there's similarities certainly between um, just the remoteness and the way that we're delivering power to those remote areas yeah so that's and then also just the, the limitations so that that's putting on people and the, the struggles and, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, that's awesome. So you've been going now for... How long has Alinga been going for now? Um, I set it up last year while I was in Ethiopia in yep. July. So wow, so you're in Ethiopia going, I know what I'm going to do now. Yes. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. And it's definitely not going back to Google. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. It's tempting that would be. Excellent. So you come back, we're set up. Um, I know you spent a couple of days in Ballarat. We've had you into the city. Um, there's some customers that we're looking at working with. Um, we've got, you know, Aboriginal hostels. We've got um, all the different housing commissions. We've got remote communities and all that sort of stuff. Um, I suppose the question is, where is Ruby in five years from now? Oh, well, I'd, I'd love to be very well established in that area so that I'm helping many communities and I'm, I'm the go-to girl for, the, for that sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's my aim to that's get excellent. there, just to be in I that space. Travel, I won't have to travel as much. You can 
go yeah. out for the both of us. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, as much as I love catching a plane to you know Darwin and then catching a little dinghy plane for another five hours out to the middle of nowhere, I think I will elect you to do that from now on, Ruby. Um, that's excellent. Um, I think that's all we've pretty much got for today. I want to keep talking. There's so much stuff to unravel about your story. Um, I suppose we'll finish up with your culture and your mob. So whereabouts where was your mob from, your heritage, Indigenous heritage? Um, so my family is from the, the Kimberley, so just yep. the Jaru people from the Kimberley. Yeah. Um, and the out specifically the Ruby Plains, which is where my name comes from. Your name comes from. That's awesome. Are there actual rubies out in those plains? Oh, I, if there is, I'm, I'll probably have to go. You're in the wrong business. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, that's excellent, Ruby. Now, it's really inspiring. Um, and then next week, we actually have Naomi Dickinson, uh, another female electrical engineer, who will be sharing um, some of the stuff she's gone through. But it was, yeah, it was really great to have you on today and hear your story and hear your pretty much how you knew that you were called to social entrepreneurship. You sort of found that out once you went to Ethiopia and were like, I just have to run an enterprise that gives back. And um, that's pretty much what our stories centre around. So thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to finish up with, or? Um, not uh, just the fact that when you said social entrepreneurship, I had to to uh, think about what that actually meant because <laughs> yeah. to me, it must be the bubble that I'm in. But I just kind of think that everybody starts their their business um, to benefit people in some way. So. That was a little bit interesting for me. Oh, not everyone does that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think the difference between a social entrepreneur and an entrepreneur isn't... A social entrepreneur is super intentional about decisions made uh, for us. At, um, at Bunjil, we say, if does it increase more into the indigenous economy, you know, whether that's wages, contractors, or um, using other indigenous businesses... That's all that question it hinges on when we're about 99% of a way of making a decision between suppliers or people we work with. And if it does increase that indigenous economy, circular economy, then we say yes. And sometimes to our own detriment, you know, people talk about risk and because the indigenous um, marketplace is, is still very young in its stage and it's maturing, um, there's a lot of new businesses, you know, new startups such as yourself, and we just believe Australia's built on everyone having a fair go. So, yeah, something we we try to practice. But yeah, and as you would know, it is harder than you think when you start a social because you think people will just jump on board because you're doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, it still has to make commercial sense. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's beautiful. Awesome. Thanks, Ruby. Thanks for coming on, and we'll probably get you back on. I think, later in the year to catch up and see how um, Alinga is going. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Ruby. Talk to you soon. See you later. Bye.